I am from Jacksonville, Florida. My parents got divorced when I was 16. I lost the relationship with my mother. My dad was going through a lot too. It became a bit hostile and uh, before I even graduated high school, I was homeless. So I was 17, senior year of high school and had no home. My life was survival. I ended up getting my first sales job and came into a successful amount of money where I was like, I need to get out of Florida. This is an option, I'm gonna risk it. I picked Chicago on a whim. I had no job, no friends, no family here. I just knew I needed to get out. I paid a company to pick out my apartment and the day after my 21st, I left. It only took me a couple weeks to get my first job. I got awards for climbing the corporate ladder so fast. I plan on giving it my all for the rest of the time here. I, wanted to I was a young, successful woman. My life in Chicago was, at that time, within my control, or so I thought. I was in a relationship. In my mind at the time, it was all internal dialogue, but now I look back and I believe maybe God was trying to speak to me. And the moment I sat down, I got the, the message, you might be pregnant. I came home, took the test. I remember seeing that it was positive. And at the time I had reasoned with myself, well, I'd rather lose this thing I don't know than lose my life that I love. Any girl, I would imagine, telling their boyfriend they're pregnant hopes that there's that excitement. And when I sat down and told him, he walked out of the room and came back and said, well, we have an appointment for August 28th to go ahead and just get the abortion. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. But everyone in my life agreed, get the abortion. You love your life, you're successful. How stupid would that be to have a kid right now? I wanted someone to talk to me about my options. I had only heard one option. And to be honest, that option of an abortion made the most sense. How I found the Caring Network was in that desperation of needing someone to talk to. When I walked in, I remember they came out and sat with me at a table and let me talk, let me cry. They never made me feel judged. It was not a conversation of what is right or wrong. They asked one question that I can still hear it in my head. If I told you God would provide everything and no one else mattered, would that help? Yes. Okay. Walking into their facility in those final moments of, of life or death for my daughter. And they changed everything for me. Again, by making me feel like I had a choice and I could do it on my own. Because, let me change that. I could do it with God. When she was born, I could hear her crying, and honestly, I just said, no, 
no, no, no, no, no, I'm not ready. And then they put the baby on your chest. And I remember catching her. And there's... Milliseconds. It's not just the seconds, it's the milliseconds where I open my eyes and I see my baby. For the first year of her life, I wrote her a letter every day for her to look back and see how much God carried us, how much God loves her, how much God loved me, how important it was for me to carry my faith. I want her to know that. If I could go back to Kaylin, who just found out she was pregnant and was terrified that this life that I built for myself was going to end, I would tell myself, good. <laughs> There's a better life, more than you could ever fathom. You're gonna have so much more. Ministries like the Caring Network help women feel loved. And in the end, what more could change a life? Kaylin and her daughter Haley uh, attend our Kesslinger campus, and um, when we started talking during Advent, as you know, we did have Serve the World partners, and many of you have given generously over the years to um, help us uh, partner with people who are um, opening up wells in rural towns in Africa, providing fresh water and hygiene, or cure hospitals, or um, last year with Naomi's house, and any number of ways, and in each of these efforts, there's a desire to find a, a place that is coming alongside. Just like Kaylin said there at IMS, she said they help women feel loved and what other, what better way to, to impact a person's life. And so our goal at the outset of this uh, Advent season of giving was to raise $250,000 to help open two caring network centers here in the Chicagoland area. And as of last weekend, um, we were just at 210,000. And so we're really close to, to reaching that goal. And, and, um, and we're hopeful that we can, through the generosity of God's people here, continue to find tangible, um, practical ways to come alongside of individual people in individual situations and speak God's love over them. And Caring Network does that really, really well. And so if you're here and this is something you would like to participate in, you can give in a number of ways. You can give whether that is online, um, through our app or through the website that's available there. You can give here in the room in person. We have generosity boxes by both of our side doors and we invite you to, to do that as well. And uh, Serve the World, while we focus on it during Advent, it, it goes on throughout the year. And it, it not only serves partners like uh, the Caring Network, but many, many other gospel-centered partners who are coming alongside of people to express the love of Christ in the midst of any number of, of situations. It's, it's part of the tradition of this time of year that we cherish and love so much. And in this service, for me and for my family, it's one of the things that we look forward to every year. It's, it's part of our Christmas tradition. It was last year when COVID was 
all around and sh we were facing shutouts and for Easter, if you remember, a year ago, we were all in our homes and celebrating online and not able to be in person. And I remember my wife at the time said, I don't care what happens or what's going on. We're, we're going to be there on Christmas Eve. If we're standing out in the cold in the yard, uh, we're going to be there. If you were here last year, Christmas Eve uh, was the coldest day. Oh, that was Sherry's fault. Eric lost feeling in his fingers playing the piano it was 16 degrees with a wind chill of zero and there was about 300 of us standing out around fire pits in the front lawn celebrating um, advent celebrating the arrival of jesus i'm curious for some of you what are some of your favorite traditions around christmas anybody what's that santa brings stuff that is a good one right that's a bit i think there's a number of us who who've uh, are looking forward to that. Ethan, do you have one? Watching Christmas movies. That's something my family and I do every Christmas. Any, yep, go ahead. Going to your Aunt Dana's house. By the way, I think your Aunt Dana just got you a bigger Christmas gift. Just <laughs> like that was, that was a good move. I like that. Yeah. We all love going to your Aunt Dana's house. And <laughs> I, uh, I, I know for many of us, whether it's the food and the family and the movies and the, and the music and all of it, there's, there's things that we love. And for me as a kid, one of the things that I remember so clearly was going over to my grandma and grandpa's house to celebrate Christmas. And my grandma had this little galley kitchen. And just at the end of the kitchen counter, there was a card table. And on that card table was every delicious treat you could possibly imagine. And she loved to bake and cook, and so there was pies, and there was candy, and there was like um, homemade fudge that she would make, and Christmas cookies of every kind. And the, the beautiful thing about it is when you're five years old, that card table is like eyesight light, you know? And for some reason, like the normal rules around sweets at Christmas got put aside, or at least I told myself that they did. And there was just like unfettered access to this food. Like you would just, every time you walked by the table, you grabbed another treat and, and you ate it. And, and I loved it. I loved it as a kid. Because at Christmas time, the things that were normally inaccessible, the things that my grandma normally had up in a cupboard in this green 1970s Tupperware were now out on the table for anyone to grab. At Christmas time, the inaccessible becomes accessible. One of the other traditions in, in my family that I love and cherish, perhaps more than any other, is on Christmas morning when we all wake up and we gather together as a family. Sherry will make some hot chocolate or coffee and we'll sit around in the glow of the Christmas tree, the lights on the Christmas tree, and the, the anticipation of the presents under the tree and the excitement of all that. We just we press pause and, and we'll open up Luke chapter 2 and we'll just read the nativity story again and just allow ourselves a moment to kind of remember why it is that we've gathered in this space in this time, what it is that we've come to celebrate and the significance and the meaning of that. And I thought in our time here today, it would just be appropriate to, to do that once again. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of the more family tradition. We're going to read the, the story of the arrival of Jesus from, from Luke chapter 2. This is Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. 
And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from a town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will, be, that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen them, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. See, at Christmas time, the inaccessible becomes accessible. One of the other traditions that, that I love each and every Christmas is, is what we just did. It's the music. Um, I know you all know I can't sing, but, but I love um, trying to. <laughs> And I love trying to at Christmas time. And, and throughout Advent, our, uh, each and every week, we've been focusing on some of these different classic Christmas hymns that, that we sing each and every year to look again at the lyrics and some of the passages in Scripture that inspired them. And, and tonight, we want to just briefly look at the, the hymn we just sang a few moments ago together. Oh, Holy Night. And of all the classic Christmas hymns, the classic Christmas songs, this is the one that I love the most. This song um, and, and the lyrics that um, are so beautifully written was rich, uh, written in about 1843 by a French poet named Placide Chapeau. And Chapeau wrote the poem because his church in France, of, um, in Rockmore, France, was commissioning the restoration of their church organ. And in celebration of that, he wrote these lyrics. In 1855, these lyrics were translated into English by John Sullivan Dwight, and quickly, O Holy Night became a part of the tradition of many, many Christians celebrating Advent throughout the years. And so let's look once again at these lyrics that, that we just sang. This is what the, the poet wrote. He said, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Truly he taught us to love one another, 
His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chain shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. This, this hymn, you may not know this, this became something of a mantra um, and, and a favorite among abolitionists living in England and then later in the United States because of the vision that, that it casts, where it says, uh, his law is, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. The vision that uh, this hymn communicates continues not only to be expressed as a, a desire, a declaration of hope, but, but also as an inspiration to action. And like all the songs that we've looked at throughout this Advent season together, this hymn is packed with so much beauty and depth in these lyrics. We could take the majority of the evening together looking at all that the poet captured as he remembers and celebrates the God who made himself accessible. But with the time that we have in just a few short moments, I wanna just highlight two things that I think Chapeau captures so effectively. And that is both the description and the prescription. First, let's take a moment to, to consider what it is that, that Chapeau describes about this event, about this night. Or in other words, why is it that that he chose to call this night holy. What is it about this individual, this particular event, this particular night that sets it apart as holy? That word oftentimes gets used in the context of, of church environments and church settings. We think of it in terms of the idea of moral perfection or uh, the idea of sacredness. But the word, while it contains all of that, the word holy itself literally means to be set apart. So if Chapeau's vision, his desire, description of what is unfolding in this is the night is holy because the one who is set apart has come to be with us. In fact, he has come to be one of us. One of the traditions that my parents had when I was a kid is, is they would take one of the gifts, maybe the, the big gift that you were like really hoping was under the tree, really excited about, and they would give you some kind of scavenger hunt or, or hide it in some other room. And one year when my brothers were opening up their gifts, my dad said to me, I want you to go and I want you to look in the front room and get some batteries for these presents your brothers just opened. So I went in there, I walked around, and, and I didn't see any batteries, and I came back, and I said, Dad, there's, there's no batteries in there. And he said, why don't you go look again? And I walked in there, and I don't know how I missed it the first time, but there's a red 10-speed bike sitting in the middle of the front room, right? Like, yeah. that was, you laughed too loud there, Naomi. That, that middle school was not my best moment, okay? But... Like, in the rural, small town of Ohio, like, this, a 10-speed bike represented freedom, right? It's like you could get to your friends, you could get to baseball practice, you could go pretty much anywhere that you wanted to go. Like, this was the one. This was the thing. It was, it was what I hoped for. 
It was the thing that they chose to, to set apart. Like the significance of what Chapeau writes when he describes this night as holy. He's saying God has done, we can read throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, the many, many ways that God has showered his love and blessing on us. But this night, this night is different because it's in this night that God would do something unique. He would do something for us that, that met our greatest need. To quote the poet, he said, on this night, it is the night of our dear Savior's birth. And he gives us context here. He said it, it, his gift comes to a world in sin and error pining, right? Later, to a, he describes it as a weary world, which that phrase in, in, in this poem resonates with me perhaps now more than any other time of my life. As we look across our world, we see tangibly this sense of weariness on us. It's this broken world that we live in, it's into this that this gift has come. That the thrill of hope enters in to, to a new and glorious morn. As the angel declared to the shepherds, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. When Chapeau remembered and celebrated this night, he remembered it as one that's holy. Because when we, when you and I could not make our way to God, God himself, the one who is holy, made his way to us. Some of you over the next few days are going to travel really, really far to see family members and friends and loved ones and in the effort to be together. And why do you do that? Why do you spend the money and make the effort and to gather together? Because you love each other. Even when it's complicated, even when there's things that make it difficult, you value the relationship enough to travel the distance. See, the poet's description of the night that Jesus took on the frailty and the humility of our human condition, the night that, that he came all of this way, as the one who is holy, this, the poet captures, this is the degree to which he loves you. He was willing to travel this far, this set-apart night, a night that warranted a great company of heavenly hosts arriving on the scene, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The poet has this, this favorite line of mine in, in this hymn. He says, fall on your knees. O hear the angels' voices. O night divine, O night when Christ was born. O night, O holy night, O night divine. And how do we respond on this night as we remember and celebrate the holy night, the prescription to the poet is, is to fall on our knees. The invitation of O Holy Night is an invitation to surrender and worship. And honestly, if, if it's all true, if what the poet describes and recalls and remembers and celebrates, if God has made his way to become one of us because he loves us that much, then what other response can there be? 
See, there's a middle verse to Chapeau's poem that rarely gets sung when, when we um, sing O Holy Night together. And in this middle verse, he writes this. He says, The King of kings lay thus in lowly manger, in all our trials born to be our friend. He knows our need, to our weaknesses no stranger. Behold your King, before him lowly bend. Behold your King, before him lowly bend. My hope for each of us this Advent season, this Christmas Eve, is we're going to go to be with family and friends and to celebrate, and all of it is, is good, wonderful stuff. But I hope in the midst of all of it, we take a moment to capture and to remember the moment when holiness himself made, his, made himself accessible to us. You consider, you grasp again afresh the degree to which you are, are loved by him. And when we do, when, when we let our minds conceive of this, that we would together say, like the poet, behold our king, behold our king, and before him lowly bend. As I conclude our, our service this evening, um, we have a tradition here at Chapel Street to end our Christmas Eve service by singing Silent Night together. And in just a moment, I'll, I'll pray for us and our worship team will come up and I will light the last candle of Advent. Um, it's the Christ candle, of whom the Apostle John says he is the light of the world. From that Christ candle, as we sing, I will light uh, my own personal individual candle. And then I'll come down and, and I will pass the flame to the front row and to this side as well, and they'll turn on their candles. And then they'll turn around and they'll pass it behind them. And as the candles touch, Turn on your lights, pass it to the people around you and behind you, and together as we sing Silent Night, the light of Christ will spread throughout the room. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you again for the opportunity to gather together. We thank you again for this moment where we gather to remember and to celebrate the God who made himself accessible. God, don't let the the significance of that be diluted by lights and presents and food and family. But allow us again to re-enter into the degree to which you have loved us, to capture it afresh, to behold our King, and to respond and, and surrender and in worship to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.